It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode discusses the murder and the sexual abuse of children. In today's episode of The Murder Sheet, we're going to talk about the Delphi murders case. We're going to talk about what happened in the past in this case, why it maybe took so long for police to circle back to Richard Allen. And we're going to talk about what the future may hold for this case, specifically the possibility that this case will be moved out of Carroll County to a new venue. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. 
Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're the Murder Sheet. And this is The Delphi Murders, Then and Now. So one frequent question that we've gotten in this sort of latest round of information that's been released about the Delphi murders since the probable cause affidavit came out yesterday centers around why has this taken five years? What happened that police did not roll with the Richard Allen lead back in 2017? Because when you look at the probable cause affidavit, it becomes very clear that they basically had everything in 2017 except for the bullet evidence possibly linking this man to the scene. They had people saying a man not dissimilar to him was at the scene. They have him most significantly perhaps placing himself at the scene that day. And the question becomes, why have we been waiting for five years for answers? Why have the families been left to wait five years why has the public been left to wait five years what what exactly happened here today? we don't we don't have all of the answers there but we can provide a little bit of information so the details that we have confirmed sketch out a scenario where it boils down to a clerical error at the hands of a civilian employee of the federal bureau of investigation Basically, it was misfiled. It was misfiled, clerical error, something went wrong. It was not a malicious act. It was not an act uh, with bad intentions. It was a mistake. And it was only caught very recently. And basically what the effect this mistake had was to um, delay Richard Allen getting a, a strong second look and it's very interesting to read in the probable cause affidavit the uh, quote unquote tip narrative about him written out sort of you know hastily by someone back back in 2017 about what he said i think it's important that we all acknowledge that mistakes do happen even devastating mistakes it it's not necessarily helpful to uh cast blame or react in anger. We're all human beings. Things happen. But we do feel it's very important for the public to at least have some sense of 
what exactly did go wrong here because five years is a long time to wait and hopefully this can give us all a little bit more clarity on why that is. We think that accountability is very important. And before we get into the main focus of this episode, which is going to be change of venue, there's something I think that we should all be paying attention to in the future. And that is, there's been a lot of talk uh, recently, understandably, about the release of the probable cause for the Richard Allen arrest. But there's another probable cause out there that people aren't talking about, and that is the probable cause for the search warrant, which ultimately led to the arrest. Because in order to go and search Allen's residence, they had to convince Judge Diener that they had probable cause to believe that specific items related to the murders could be found in Allen's home. We have not seen the probable cause affidavit for that search. And that search warrant's probable cause could be absolutely crucial. Because if another judge looks at it and decides that Judge Diener was wrong to believe probable cause existed, then we have the potential of the evidence that came out of that search being thrown out or suppressed. So I think we should all be very interested in what is in the probable cause for the search affidavit. Yes, and to be clear, the defense attorneys have likely already thought of this. We're not giving them ideas. So don't get mad at us if you don't like the idea of evidence getting thrown out. That's that's pretty standard that a defense attorney will try to attack something like that if they feel it's shaky. Uh, and in fact, at the court hearing last week, they talked about, the defense attorneys talked about uh, suppression hearings. So they're already considering what they could possibly attempt to get suppressed. Uh, with that said, one thing they actually have done is they filed a motion for a change of venue. And that happened, uh, as we speak, that happened yesterday. It happened on November 29th, just a few hours before the probable cause affidavit was released. Uh, Ani and I sat down to record an episode about that yesterday. We weren't able to finish that episode, as you will hear, but we'd like to play for you what we recorded yesterday, and then we'll come back at the end. So today, on Tuesday, November 29th, 2022, Richard Allen's defense attorneys, Andrew Baldwin and Brad Rosie, filed a motion for a change of venue in his pending felony murder trial. This is a development that many observers of the Delphi case have expected to happen for a while. Today, we'll delve deeper into this subject and talk about what could happen next. Let's start at a very basic point. What exactly is a change of venue motion? Basically, that happens when someone, usually the defendant or his representatives, says, I don't feel I can get a fair trial in the area where the crime is alleged to have happened. There can be a variety of reasons for that. But basically, it's just, I don't think I can get a fair trial here. I need to have the trial happen somewhere else in order to get an unbiased jury. Yes, and in the case of this crime, 
because this is this is a murder charge at the state level, it will have to occur in the state of Indiana. They can't just move it to Illinois or Ohio or anything because there's no federal basis here. Yes. So when you when you apply for uh, the change of venue in a state offense, it has to be moved somewhere within the state, as you say. Now, I would say that the Delphi case has gripped the state of Indiana, but the defense attorneys sort of outline exactly what their concerns are in the motion about what would be wrong with Carroll County itself, which, of course, Delphi is the seat of Carroll County. This is all occurring in Carroll County. Um, Nicholas McClelland, the prosecutor in this case, is the prosecutor of Carroll County. So they're basically saying, get it out of Carroll County. I'll read a couple of excerpts from the defense motion to kind of highlight what their argument is right now. Basically, they say the allegations stem from the highly publicized death of two Carroll County teenagers, of course, that being Liberty German and Abigail Williams. Uh, They wrote that even before Richard Allen had been accused of these crimes, the matter had been highly publicized. They note that this extensive media attention began while the victims were missing The extensive media attention continued after the victims were found. So they're basically saying since 2017, this has been a very high profile case, which is true. You and I actually began covering this relatively recently, um, but there have been national, international, regional and local press on this from before it was known to be a homicide, essentially. And actually, you follow this case pretty closely even before you lived in Indiana. When you lived in New York, you were following the case. People all over the world follow this case. Yeah, absolutely. To this day, uh, the stories of Abby and Libby resonate with a lot of people, and there's a lot of interest. The defense attorneys wrote that the extensive media attention continued for the next 80 months or five-plus years in a variety of formats until Richard Allen was arrested. Those formats, of course, included, as they said, coverage on local, statewide, and national television media, coverage on local, statewide, and national print media, coverage on several podcasts that reach local, state, national, and international audiences, and coverage on the internet in a variety of social media platforms, including Twitter, Reddit, YouTube, and Facebook. This is all absolutely correct. I mean, this this pretty much extensively covers the amount of traditional media, new media, and social media attention that this has received. So they're basically just outlining, here's what this case means from a media perspective right now. And they also note that the authorities have also played into this somewhat, noting that um, state and local authorities have conducted numerous press conferences and um, even noting that the elected prosecutor participated in those. And uh, they also note that this all basically continued when their client was arrested and that even a press conference was held by state and local authorities, which, of course, we covered in a previous episode Um, And in conclusion, the defense attorneys wrote that although it could be argued that the amount of publicity that this particular case has received in the past five plus years will make it difficult to find a jury that has not heard of this case, Richard Allen's defense team has gleaned statistical data that would strongly indicate that moving the case trial just 150 miles away would significantly reduce the likelihood of obtaining a tainted jury pool. So that's kind of their thesis. That's what they want. That's the ask. And interestingly enough, they support that contention by looking at data from Google, don't they? Yes, they do, which is interesting because in my <laughs> in my past as a as a digital journalist, that's something we would do a lot. Look at Google Trends to see, you know, what was resonating with an audience. So it's sort of interesting that they use that technique here. 
But uh, basically some, some stats that they threw out there. During the month of October, when of course the arrest occurred of Richard Allen, the search for Richard Allen in Carroll County ranged between 1,000 and 10,000 searches for a county with just over 20,000 residents. Yeah, recent census data has pegged Carroll County as having around 20K people. Um, and they're basically saying that this is a substantial proportion of this population, essentially, is looking at Richard Allen. Uh, they wrote that on average, around one in every two or 50% of Carroll County residents have conducted online searches of Richard Allen during the month of October following his arrest. You know, 1,000 to 10,000 is quite a large range, I will say, but they're definitely erring on the side of, you know, the uh, the more uh, proportionate, the, the larger group of people, for sure. Uh, they wrote that, and this is interesting, they're bringing up Fort Wayne, which, of course, is where uh, Judge Fran Gull, uh, you know, of Allen County is typically presiding. So they're kind of throwing in the judge's home base here. Uh, comparatively speaking, they write that Fort Wayne is a city with over 260,000 residents, roughly 13 times the size of Carroll County. In the month of October following his arrest, the average monthly searches for Richard Allen in Fort Wayne ranged between 1,000 and 10,000 searches. So they're saying that basically because Fort Wayne is such a bigger population, that that's less of a big deal in terms of a jury pool. And actually, they, they make kind of a point about Delphi being such a small town and how that could impact the search for a fair and impartial jury. They note that in, when the girls first turned up missing – as many as, uh, and they're they're using a they're citing a variety of sources here, but as many as three hundred people were actively involved in the search of, for the two victims while they were missing, and they note that that is roughly ten percent of the town of Delphi, Indiana, which in twenty twenty two they estimated to have around three thousand residents, um, and they're noting that it's not just a matter of the searchers themselves; it's anyone who is family or friends with anyone involved in the search would also be possibly tainted because they would be getting firsthand accounts from those searchers. You know, basically what they, the word they use is that could infect the jury and that those opinions of those searchers would have infect the jury and basically bias them against Richard Allen. And they talk about their presumption is that the further away you get from Carroll County, the fewer people you will find who were so directly involved with the case. The fewer people you find who have such a direct personal investment in the case. And they also, I thought this was interesting, they kind of bring up Judge Diener uh, uh, in a bit. Judge Diener, of course, was the first judge who was assigned the Richard Allen case, and he ended up recusing himself. How do they bring him up? They write that, additionally, the fact that the prosecutor requested that the probable cause affidavit be sealed and that the original sitting judge, Sua Sponte, recused himself from the case is anecdotal evidence that both the prosecutor and prior judge also recognize the magnitude of interest and publicity in this case and the practical problems associated with the interest in publicity in Carroll County. So they're basically saying that Judge Diener proves their point by spontaneously, you know, getting out of there, basically. It's, it's kind of interesting because <laughs> in the hearing the other day, uh, Nick McClellan used uh, Judge Diener to try to prove a point, and now the defense is trying to use Judge Diener to prove a point. So Haven't you- we all tried to use Judge Diener to prove a point? <laughs> Who amongst us? Yeah, Judge Diener is being brought up a, an unusual amount, given that he was on this for what felt like five minutes. But they're basically noting that, you know, he very clear, he very 
he very clearly in his statements was saying that, you know, the media attention, the social media attention, the the attention this case gets is a problem. So they're basically saying even the last judge agrees agrees with us. Um, And they're also noting, you know, just Richard Allen, his involvement in the Delphi community is a problem. They write that Richard Allen was a community member who for many years worked at CVS in Delphi. As CVS is the type of business that is commonly visited by the general public, Richard Allen would have come in close contact with many of the Delphi and Carroll County citizens, creating another real concern of high probability of bias among potential jurors in Carroll County. Now, I don't really think they got into this, but if you also factor into that people in Carroll County, the jury pool that could have personal connections to the families of the two victims, to uh, the prosecutor's office, to the um, to law enforcement locally, you're beginning to see that it's not just a matter of finding people who have not extensively researched the case. It's also a matter of finding everybody who does not have connections. So you're starting to see the jury pool be whittled down and it's already a relatively small jury pool because it's a relatively um, not, it's not a very densely populated County. Exactly. And I, I think it's fair to say that most people who have been following the trial and the case have expected a change of venue to be filed. And I think most people expect it to be granted. I think we probably expect this to be granted. We've been saying for a long time behind the scenes that we expected that if this came to trial, it would have to move. But it is worth noting that it is not a sure thing that a change of venue request will be granted. I'd like to demonstrate that by stepping back for a moment to the case of James Bryan Chadwell II. I think uh, people have been following the Delphi case probably remember him. He was he sexually assaulted uh, a young girl in Tippecanoe County. He bears a faint resemblance to the sketches in the Delphi case. So for a while, there was some speculation that perhaps Chadwell was involved in the Delphi murders in some capacity. And to be very clear, nothing we've heard from law enforcement indicates that they believe that. So we're not bringing him up to say he's linked. We're more bringing him up as an example. Exactly. We're bringing him up because this was a person whose case got a lot of publicity at the time. More so than most attacks against children do around the country. Unfortunately, this is something that happens. But because this one was perceived to be possibly linked to Delphi, it ended up getting a lot of attention quite suddenly. Yes. And if anyone who's been following the case long enough I'm sure they remember hearing a lot about this case. I believe we even did an episode about uh, Chadwell. We did, yes. So Chadwell's defense attorneys did what the defense attorneys in this case did. They filed uh, a change of uh, venue motion. Uh, They made an argument that there was an awful lot of pretrial publicity in the media, so it would be difficult to find uh, an unbiased jury. And what is interesting is the judge in that case did not grant that motion. Now, what county did that happen in? What county are we talking about here? Because it was not Carroll County. It was Tippecanoe County. Tippecanoe County, which is, uh, I believe, adjacent. Yes. And I'm going to read a few things from the judge's decision when he refused that motion, and we can talk about it. This is Judge Stephen P. Meyer who is the judge of Tippecanoe Superior Court Number 2. 
Judge writes, The burden on a motion for change of venue rests with defendant to establish, one, prejudicial pretrial publicity, and two, the juror's inability to set aside preconceived notions of guilt and render a verdict based upon evidence introduced at trial. Basically, the judge is saying there is that his understanding of the law, and he cites the case of Speck v. State, his understanding of the law is just the mere existence of prejudicial pretrial publicity is not enough. And just the fact that someone may have been exposed to that pretrial publicity is not enough. He's arguing you also need to prove that the people who are exposed to that would not be able to put that information out of their minds. How would one prove that? (laughs) Uh, That's an excellent question. And certainly this judge says that the Chadwell's attorneys didn't meet that. Did did you you find that there were things in the motion that we read from today in the Allen case, which established that Carroll County jurors would be too prejudiced to set aside their uh, notions of what they've already know about the case? Not necessarily. It basically indicated that a lot of people have been looking up Richard Allen, which could be problematic, but they don't have anything saying that all of those people assume that he's guilty. Uh, You could have people looking him up who are thinking... I don't think he did it. I mean, I don't know. It That seems like it would be a very, very difficult thing to prove, frankly. And I mean, maybe my interpretation is wrong. I'm not a lawyer. Are they basically saying like we have to go through the jury selection process in order to figure this out? That's basically what they're saying here. The judge uh, in this decision wrote, any persons exposed to prejudicial pretrial publicity should be identified through juror questionnaires or during the normal jury selection process and may be subject to dismissal from jury service. But the mere possibility of prejudice or bias is not sufficient to entitle a defendant to a change of venue. Actual proof of community bias or prejudice is required. So it sounds like this judge, Judge Meyer, might not be inclined to grant a change of venue in a trial like this. I don't know. And I don't know what judge uh, this judge would do. So almost like if everybody in Carroll County signs a petition saying, we think that Richard Allen is definitely guilty. And nothing's going to change our and mind. And nothing's going to change our mind. Then that's maybe more of a problem than people looking it up in the, in that judge from Tippecanoe's News mind. And, and the thing is, we have a town as small as Delphi. Almost any juror on any case is going to have some sort of connection to the person on trial. You know, maybe that's my friend's cousin's brother or something. But generally speaking, we do trust jurors to put aside their preconceived notions about a person and just make decisions based about what would happen in the courtroom. And again, with all this said, it is very likely that this change of venue will be granted. I just thought it was important to stress it's not a sure thing. Yeah, I think it is important to stress that and and to cite because, I mean, this basically they were asking for the Chadwell change because of the same reason, which is that it was linked to Delphi. Now, Richard Allen has been arrested for the Delphi murder. So, I mean, that's that's certainly a more concrete link than people speculating in the press. But it's for the same reason of like, you know, everyone's looking at this. Everybody, you know, has already looked this up. Uh, We need to get out of here so we can find some people who are not super aware of it. My feeling is that 
the conservative, prudent thing to do in the Delphi murder, since it is so high profile, would be to move it. That they don't want to risk somebody sneaking onto the jury, essentially, and then having calls for, you know, a mistrial or, you know, something going wrong. So I don't know, but. Wouldn't it, there also be a danger of someone trying to sneak onto the jury almost anywhere? Yeah, frankly. Unfortunately, you have a subset of people who want to insert themselves into this case at all costs, and they don't really care about justice. They just want to be involved. We were talking about this earlier, and you made some good points. If you want to, if you, if you <laughs> don't try to sneak your way into the jury, if you're ever in a, I mean, I don't think most people would do this, but there's some people who are really unhinged out there, and I could see people lying about the, their level of interest, lying about their connection to the case, and then it proving disastrous. It's not a game. Be honest when you're answering jury questions. Don't try to sneak onto a jury. You will just end up hurting a lot of people that way and possibly um, preventing justice from happening in this case. It's in that that's just it's not right. I, I don't think most people would do this, but I can think of it. Like, there's a certain type of person that this case attracts that I could see. Doing something like that and just know that you're not helping and, and you're not you're not acting in the best interest of the case of justice or of Libby and Abby if, if you're tempted to do something like that. So that's my that's my soapbox. <laughs> and with all this said, uh, I, I think generally speaking that it would be a good idea to change the venue in this case because it's so high profile. There's so many eyes on it. Uh, I think it makes sense to bend over backwards in this case to do that. I, I think most people probably take that view, but it's not a lock. It's not a sure thing. People don't get a change of venue just by asking for it. You have to meet the statutory requirements for what allows you to get a change of venue. And so it may not happen. Yeah. And what will be interesting to see is, does Prosecutor McClelland contest this? Does he file a counter motion? I think he probably does because he's going to want to take the view that, you know, the people in my county are smart people who are able to set aside prejudicial pretrial publicity and just make decisions based on the facts. Yes, he's I, I believe that's probably what his argument's going to be. And to me, what is less I mean, to me, the people looking it up is less compelling because you can't. You don't know what's going to be in those people. I mean, are they looking up a really biased article that everyone, you know, people are saying he's definitely guilty or are they looking up? you know, traditional news coverage of this person's been arrested. Here's what you need to know. Uh, what I mean, and or so to me, that seems a little bit less important than the possibility that you have people with links to searchers, the families, law enforcement. That's all a little bit more. Yeah, that could get a bit messy. And they talk about how small the city of Delphi is, and that's true. But Jurors can come from anywhere in Carroll County, so you have yeah. a, a bit of a bit of a larger population than just three thousand people. Yeah, it's it's twenty thousand. It's a pool of twenty thousand people. Although they are making you know somewhat of a case that that could be diminished if you have people who are obsessed with the case and and really digging into it. But I I'll be curious to see how this plays out. And it's very interesting to me that we do have the parallel with the Chadwell case, where they basically said nope, prejudicial uh, publicity by itself. Isn't enough, at least according to the judge in that case. No. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And also, of course, the judge, uh, we're not sure when she's going to rule on this. We're not sure when she's going to rule on the probable cause affidavit. Could be any time. 
Now, hypothetically, let's let's get ahead of ourselves a little bit. Uh, what what happens if the judge does grant this and say, yes, let's move this 150 miles away? So I wanted to basically figure out, like, what does that look like? So I went to a website called mapdevelopers.com, and I drew a circle with a radius of 150 miles around the Delphi courthouse. Um, I'm not very good at math. I may have done this wrong. If so, I apologize, but I'm going to tell you what I saw. <laughs> Anyways, basically, if you look west, north, and east, that... If you, Wait a second. It's been unsealed. The probable cause? Yes. Oh, my God. Let's just jump on that. Yeah. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes, like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises, are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one -on -one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we had to stop recording this episode previously yesterday because the probable cause affidavit came out. So now we're just basically picking up where we left off. We were talking about the geographical implications of this change of venue request. And you did some terrific research on that. Well, I mean, I just looked up www.mapdevelopers.com slash draw circle tool PHP. So I don't know if that's a lot of research, but I did my best. I drew a circle with a radius of 150 miles around the Delphi Courthouse, 
what I found was that if you you basically excluding Western, Northern, and Eastern Indiana as far as Delphi goes, the circle spills straight out of Indiana well into Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, a corner of Wisconsin, and Lake Michigan when you do that, if you go in any of those directions. So you have to go south. A few locations that came up on the map as being outside of the circle were Jasper, Indiana, Princeton, Indiana, a town called Santa Claus, Mount Vernon, Newburgh, Vevey, and the big one was, of course, Evansville. That's the third largest city in Indiana, I believe. It's on the border with Kentucky. It's uh, right along the Ohio River. We've actually done an episode on a, a race riot that happened there in the early part of the 20th century. And so that kind of seems to be the big area that would not be touched by this kind of circle and, and would be satisfactory to the defense as they laid it out in this motion. Now, that's not a comprehensive look, but that's just giving us all a sense that basically the only thing that would be satisfactory to the defense is the very southernmost edge of Indiana. And, uh, you know, that's kind of taking you out of the Indianapolis media market. You're looking more at a Kentucky media market if you're doing that. So they're being very strategic. It will be yet to be seen what the prosecution's response to this is. But when you look up at the 2022 Indiana Code, um, you find that, quote, in any criminal action, the defendant may request a change of venue from the county by filing a verified motion for change of venue, alleging that bias or prejudice against the defendant exists in that county. So, you know, this is all going very by the book, and we'll just have to see where things play out from here. When we asked the office of Judge Frank Gull for some uh, answers to a few clarifying questions about what this means next, they sent us a few helpful responses. One is that if there's a change of venue, subsequent hearings could take place in the new county. And the case itself would actually be filed in that county and no longer be a Carroll County case. So that's basically indicating that if this goes through and is approved... You know, we could all be going to somewhere else to go to subsequent hearings. It won't continue to happen in Carroll County. The office, the office's spokesperson continued that Judge Gull has the discretion to decide whether or not to grant the change of venue and where the case would go if she granted it. She also has the ability within that motion for change of venue to decide that the case could stay in Carroll County, but that a jury would be chosen in another Indiana county and brought to Carroll County. So that's basically indicating that we have a kind of a couple of options to kind of deal with the defense's concern. She could even go as far as, you know, pluck jurors from another county, bring them up here. So it really seems like it could be anything depending on what she assesses is the best course of action for this case. Currently, the spokesperson said that Judge Gull is looking at dates for a hearing on the motion for a gag order and the motion for a change of venue. And it's possible that those could even take place on the same date. So... Uh, we really appreciate Judge Gull's office for being open and transparent and answering these questions. And hopefully this gives everybody a bit of a sense of what we could be looking at going forward. It's up in the air. It's not confirmed. But now we at least know what certain options could be. And that's basically the episode. That's what we wanted to share right now, an update on why it took five years to circle back to Rick Allen 
as well as an update on what could be happening in the future and what we might expect now that there's been a, a change of venue motion filed. So we will continue to update you on all things uh, related to the Delphi murders that we find newsworthy. And hopefully we can kind of continue to get closer to answers on what happened to Abby and Libby and what's been happening with this investigation. But uh, thank you very much for bearing with us and, um, you know, dealing with, with the delay with this and kind of mashing two episodes together. And uh, we do we do appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet discussion group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.